Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When the storm hits, I'm caught in the open. The rain pounds the rooftops, shakes tiles into the gutters, washes the cigarettes and paper across the cobblestones of a skew and into the drains. With my hood raised over my head, the city is limited and indistinct, a shimmer of golden building lights and silhouettes that seem to erode backwards into the rain and the darkness. 
It's as if a skew is shedding its skin. I'm soaking. Shivering. Shaking the newspaper out of my trouser legs and onto the pavement as it disintegrates. I need a place to go. Any place. I spend an hour or two on the underground network, passing up and down the train carriages with a styrofoam cup in my hand, trying to make a few coins. This is dangerous work. The commuters are friendly enough, and a few of them even take the time to offer me a shake of their head and a sympathetic shrug of their shoulders. But then they all pile off the carriage at once, and you're left alone as the darkness flashes past, waiting for the train to slow again, pulling up at a station that does not exist, with platforms that are quite empty, and escalators that lead upwards into only darkness. Nothing but darkness. And as you hurry back towards the train, you hear your footfalls echoing more than once, a pitter-patter of many others running beside you and behind you, first on their feet, and then more quickly as you run on all fours, and as you dive back into the carriage and the train sets off again, you get just a glimpse, just a split second of your own hungry face, with its jaw slack and its eyes black and oily as twin night skies, repeated across a hundred horrid bodies crammed into the platform space, watching you leave them behind. Next, I try my luck at the old Regent Cinema, the converted theatre, with a rain-battered neon sign and the billboard that only ever seems to announce incomprehensible Escovian films, with titles that are just sequences of words, and promise nothing, evoke nothing. Sneaking into a screening is easy enough, as the teenage ticket attendants are chatting idly in front of the pick-and-mix. And I take a row near the back of the empty room, lying across three seats at once, and try to get some sleep in the darkness, listening to the rain hammering down on the tiles far above. But it's hard, because the adverts finish, and I find that I'm watching a jerky black-and-white film about a scowling homeless man who comes in off the street to take refuge in a cinema with a neon sign. But as he lies down across three seats near the back of the screen, there's a crowd filing into the auditorium along either aisle, their faces masked in white cloth with round goggling eyes drawn on like cheap costume party ghosts. And as they form a circle around him, they raise the tools of deconstruction. And as they grab his limbs, he begins to shriek. And as a hacksaw drives across his belly and splits the flesh to either side, it isn't guts or blood they pull up. It's black ribbons of film, spooling out in all directions. And as they drag him, still screaming with his impossible bowels careening out over the carpet and begin to feed it into the projector, it flickers and lights up and begins to show on the big screen a film about a scowling homeless man who comes in off the street to take refuge in a cinema with a neon sign, but... But when the house lights finally come up and I'm ushered out into the street, it feels as if I've been there for days. But it's still dark and still raining, and I have not slept. 
There is refuge out there, I know. And as I pause beneath a street sign that points me in the right direction, spelling out the name of my sanctuary, I feel as if luck must at last be on my side. The other walking homeless have told me about the great undulating plains of Reclamation Park, where tall oaks and silver birch obscure the city skyline and the whisper of birds drowns the screaming traffic. Not far from here, within walking distance. Beneath the black trees, in the long untended grass, I will find shelter. And as I walk, I walk in hope. And the city no longer seems eternal and endless, but cleanly, clearly mapped. And all at once there are no longer lights ahead beyond the great twisted statue of some ancient plaza, but instead a vast pool of empty black. Reclamation Park. A patch of pure oblivion sewn into the fabric of the city. I cross the square, pushing through the lingering tourists beneath their black umbrellas, find the iron fence with my hands, and haul myself over, one leg at a time. I hang for a moment, then drop. It's like going blind, a descent into absolute darkness, my feet squelching into rain-sodden grass, my hands flailing out to catch my balance. I stand there, on the other side of the fence, listening to the silence, and wait for my eyes to adjust, until at last the trees are visible, looming out of the darkness before me like great grey mirrors, and I stumble on, past them and around them, hoping to find a place where the rain no longer oozes through the canopy above. And then I find myself standing on the edge of a grassy rise, and there are golden lights below me, illuminating the silhouettes of a playground just ahead. A rickety iron swing, a climbing frame with slide, and a low crimson tunnel that looks just dry and empty enough. I bend down, cramming my knees into my chest, and force myself into safety. It's snug inside the tunnel, and soon enough it's warm as well. The rain drips just beyond my face, but no longer soaks into my shoulders and hair. I sit back and close my eyes. There's a faint hubbub of voices somewhere in the park below. Laughter and popping corks. Some kind of celebration. Exhausted as I am, I begin to fall in love with the idea of slipping down there in the darkness, stealthily snatching myself a glass or a handful of canapes, and then returning here to the safety of my nest. Perhaps they wouldn't question my walking amongst them, conversing with them. Confidence and the right sort of accent can go a long way, I hear. The golden light blooms below. There are fairy lights strung up amongst the trees, as if the park has been transformed for tonight. I can make them out more clearly now, those who dwell below. Swollen figures in tuxedos and cocktail dresses, clutching their glasses, arranged around a ghostly white gazebo. 
Their laughter is careless. It's loathsome because it's so careless. Their jowls shake as they talk. Their sightless eyes sing with happiness. Do these people see what I see, I wonder? Will they ever truly know, Eskew? I'm so caught up in my own contempt that it takes me a second to realise there's something crawling up my arm. I jolt back. A brilliant electric blue bug is tottering up the sleeve of my coat. Its fragile little feelers extended. It's beautiful. A tiny alien thing. A colour and a brightness that should in no way exist in nature. Crawling determinedly up the sodden cloth of my coat as if something meaningful awaits it at the end of its journey. I watch it worshipfully for a time, enjoying every teetering step and awkward backwards-sideways movement, until finally it gets a little too close to the skin of my wrist and I gently shake my sleeve, then a little harder, until it drops into the mud beyond the tunnel's mouth and is gone. What will be the worst outcome, I wonder, when I get to the end of my journey? If I come to the heart of a skew and am told that all my suffering was only a test, and I have been found worthy, and I am led into some room where my hand is shaken, and my back is patted, and we all laugh about how it played on camera, I think it might be better to come to the heart and learn the opposite, that my unworthiness was exactly what led me here, that this is punishment of a cosmic sort, And I will never be free, because I can never be better. That's something to cling to, to revolt against. There is no heart to any of this. I know that in mine. And only those who dwell below in the park are a step closer to happiness, because they have sufficient comfort to forget. I sit in my tunnel and watch as fireworks break over the night sky of askew. Great golden gushing lights, royal blues and reds, and those who dwell below raise their glasses and chant blessings to the night and lock their lips together in kisses. What are they celebrating? Is it Christmas? Is it New Year's? Does time still have meaning here? I gaze up at the exploding stars and the savage silhouettes of the city's rooftops beyond, and at the lowest moment of my being, I make a resolution. I will not go on like this. I will not spend the rest of my life in a skew. I will not let more of myself be taken from me. And if a skew will not let me go, then it will have to keep breaking me down, bone by bone and cell by cell, until there's nothing left, because as long as there's a single working part of me in this body, I will not stop running, will not stop scheming, and if it tears me down and snuffs me out, turns me into something broken and devolved, like Kenneth, like the architect, like the correspondence editor, like Jacoby, I swear my empty brain will keep my twisted mouth moaning the words like a foghorn. Escape. 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 I remember them all, 
I have always remembered them. I glance downwards. The bright blue bug is crawling up my arm again. The same path, the same stubborn determination, working its way along the cloth of my sleeve towards the exposed skin of my wrist, as if looking for a place to lay its eggs. I swat at it, harder than I intended, or perhaps just as hard. It falls, buzzing and bristling in fury and pain. When I look again, there are two severed, slender legs still clinging to the fabric. I brush them away. Of course, I feel guilty. I, too, am just one small creature, traversing the surface of a landscape I'll never understand. It's at this precise moment that I begin to realise something is wrong. Because the fireworks start up again. And perhaps it's just that fireworks are, by their nature, repetitive and forgettable, no matter how much we claim to love them. But I swear they're playing out in the same patterns as last time. Gold lights. Red lights. Blue lights. And the sea of primped and puffy faces beneath me erupts in a cry of, To your health! And the well-fed and happy lean into one another and begin to kiss. I gaze up at the exploding stars and the savage silhouettes of the city's rooftops beyond, and at the lowest moment of my being, I make a resolution. Haven't I had this thought before? And then I realise the electric blue bug is crawling up my sleeve again. Its shell is mangled, its pace slowed to a rickety marionette stutter by the two limbs that are missing, and it's humming, vibrating with the buzz of its own furious intent, an off-key broken sound that goes from quiet to loud to quiet, and then starts up again. I whisper, stop it. Please, stop it. I, I don't want to kill you. But the bug just keeps crawling, keeps on its dogged path to its own extinction, extending its filthy limbs towards skin of my wrist. And I have no choice now, none at all, as I smack my palm down against my sleeve as hard as I can and feel the tiny thing break. Hardness resolve into softness, and I wipe the disgusting mass of beetle, whirring and whining and twitching its limbs down onto the mud beneath the tunnel's mouth and stamp with my foot. Once. Twice. I feel dirtied and relieved all at once, as if I've sinned and cleansed myself all in one motion. But... No, it it can't be that the little electric bug should still be alive, still humming from the debased wreck of its own innards and brain and limbs, its legs and feelers still flickering up towards my skin. It's just motor function, I tell myself. The thing is dead, and its body just needs time to understand that. I wait and watch, but the bug does not die. 
In fact, it manages somehow to push itself back up onto what must be its front, screeching and whirring in triumph as it slopes a single inch through the mud, agonizingly slow towards my shoe. I stamp down again, and harder still, and I shout it this time. Stop! Please, stop! Nothing stops. The fireworks break out again. And I begin to suspect that I am trapped, somehow, in this park, in this moment of time within this park, in this filthy tunnel, with this poor, foolish, horrible bug, that a skew could trap me in a thimble, that there is nothing that cannot be made a prison. Those who dwell below are singing again, but the words are different now. The words are horrible. When you go down to the end of the town, be careful where you play, because the shadow that's down past the end of the town will surely take you away. Partygoers kiss, and their jaws clench with inhuman motion, and the lover devours the face of the loved, and half of the crowd below come away grinning and chanting, with no cheeks and no lips. The bug is crawling up my sleeve again. It's no longer a bug, no longer a stable, structured creature, but a moving, fluid tumour of white insect guts and gorgeous blue shell shards spiking through the oozing flesh and three nervous spines that could be legs or feelers twitching uselessly through the air. It should no longer be capable of movement, but it doesn't seem to know that. I know a metaphor when it's crawling up my arm. I know a message when I see one. Askew wants to show me it knows how dogged one small thing can be, and how little it matters. I try to brush it off. It keeps on going. I shake it and shout at it, but it keeps on going. And as it reaches the curve of my sleeve, descending onto the skin of my wrist, it spreads out, slopping over my knuckles in every direction, like white grease, like an oil slick. The fireworks begin again. The singing begins again. The couples below lean in and kiss deeper and take more from one another. And as the bug writhes and rises up my fingertips, there is already a second mass of broken beetle crawling up my skin. And as the night sky explodes again, a third and a fourth, and the white boiling interiors are spreading along my arm, beneath my coat, a tide of beetle reaching for my chest, for my throat, for my open, screaming mouth. Stop it. I scream. The bug's gross mechanical hum is in my ears, is in the marrow of my mind. I scream and scream. And the thought of my scream is this. I'm sorry.
I'm sorry. I take it back. Take away everything else from me. But leave me more than this. Silence. The fireworks crack like golden eggs in the sky. But there is nothing on my arm. I open my eyes. I'm lying sprawled in the mud beyond the mouth of the tunnel. And as I write myself, I realise I have an audience of the well-dressed and the wealthy. They gaze up at me from their party with hostility, irritation, amusement, above all curiosity. As if I'm some brave and unruly insect that's crawled into the path of their polished leather shoes. And then one of them says, David? Allegra is standing amongst the well-fed, the washed, the happy, a single crudité halfway to her lips. David? She asks again, and then she excuses herself from her companions and comes striding towards me up the grassy slope. David! She says as her eyes meet my eyes in the darkness, and she takes me by the arm and guides me half upright as gently as she can. David, my God, what happened to you? I I tried your apartment. I tried everywhere. You just vanished. I thought you'd run away again. I fall into her embrace, which is welcoming and warm, no matter how long it's been since I shaved or showered, no matter that I'm quivering with terror and hunger and exhaustion. I'm home, I think. I'm home. Allegra's shower runs steaming hot. I peel back my rancid layers of clothing, exposing my frail body to the mirror's gaze. Eskew does know how, when you think you can't go on, give you just a little more, a little blessed relief. And it's only when I'm standing under the water, scolding and safe and happy, that it occurs to me. A question. How did she know I ran away again? I stand there for a moment, dirt and grime pooling from my feet and running down the plug hole before turning off the tap. I slip into the white bathrobe that's been laid out for me and walk into the bright, tasteful kitchen beyond. Allegra is cooking the eggs. She's talking about how it's going to be okay, that she's been building up her contacts and she knows she can find me some work. Uh, Perhaps at a school or a library, somewhere government contracted. Somewhere I'll be happy. She thinks I'll like that, to have a sense of purpose. The question comes to me, slowly and dully, 
as she ladles the scrambled white gunk out across our plates. Allegra, I ask, what were you doing in the park? What were you doing with those people? Oh, she says. It was a work thing. The town planners and the city architects. We were celebrating. Celebrating what? I ask. Allegra turns to face me. Her eyes are not like I remember. The expansion, she tells me, smiling. We were celebrating the expansion. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 